Welcome to the 243rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our review of Super Wildcard Weekend, and look ahead of the NFL, look ahead to the NFL divisional playoffs, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in the NFL where Patrick went four and two with his predictions. In the NBA, Patrick was a perfect four and oh. Patrick was also a perfect four and oh with his college basketball predictions. That means Patrick went 12 and two this week. That brings him to a 975 and 621 overall record, a 61.1% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, obviously, given the results, um, thought I had a pretty good week. Um, in the NFL, I think the the one game I got wrong that I felt kind of iffy about predicting in the first place was the Eagles and the Bucks. I mean, I talked about how um, in my preview, I talked about how the Eagles just haven't looked good for six or seven weeks. Um, and I think, you know, that came out again. They were very bad last night. Um, and that's kind of, something that I thought could happen, but I still went with the Eagles anyway, just because I thought they might be able to turn things around. If I'd known AJ Brown was going to be out for sure, I probably would have picked the Bucks because it was, it felt like it was going to be a close game anyway, um, even though it wasn't a close game, but you know, not, I felt iffy about picking that one. Not really surprised that I got it wrong. Um, in terms of the other game I got wrong, I was never going to pick the Packers. Um, I did, I did say it's possible that the Cowboys had another collapse, but I just said, didn't think it would happen this early um, given the opponent, given the fact that they had played well at home this year too. Um, but that did happen. And then the other games, you know, all of them were kind of boring, but um, the Texans beat the Browns despite being the home underdog. Uh, the Chiefs beat the Dolphins. That one was pretty expected. And then the Bills beat the Steelers, which I got right. And then the Lions beat the Rams in the most entertaining game, which I said I was looking forward to. Um Obviously a little disappointed in my Rams for not getting it done, not winning that game, but at the same time kind of expected it. Um, so the Lions get that win. They move on and we will uh, talk about all those games in more depth when we talk about the NFL. Um, but then in the NBA, uh, the Sixers beat the Kings 112 to 93. No Joel Embiid in that game and the Sixers had struggled without him before. So a big win for them to pick up, but um, I got the one right. The Heat beat the Magic 99 to 96. I got that one right. Uh, they're actually playing again next week, and I might have to predict it again looking at the NBA's slate, um, but we'll see for sure uh, later in the week. Um, the Nuggets beat the Pelicans 125 to 113. Got that one right as well. And then the Timberwolves beat the Clippers 109 to 105, and I got that one right. So, really good week in the NBA. Um, in college basketball, number three, Kansas beat number nine, Oklahoma, 78 to 66. Uh, Oklahoma got very high in the rankings because their schedule was kind of weak and they just kind of had a cakewalk through it all. Um, but now all of a sudden playing the tougher teams, things are getting tougher. They're starting to drop some games as are a lot of teams in the big 12. Houston's kind of falling in that same fate. Um, and Kansas also has lost a game already to UCF, which was surprising, but we'll talk about that more later. Um, but I got the one, right. New Mexico beat number 18, San Diego state, 88, 70, Got that one right. Uh, number 22, Creighton beat St. John 66 to 65. Um, and Texas Tech beat Kansas State 60 to 59. So a pair of one point wins um, for my final two predictions. So 
definitely was a was a nerve wracking four zero. But um, in the end, uh, the teams I picked did win out. Uh, that St. John's team has been playing really well recently. Um, they they made that game close on the road in a game that they really had no business being in, considering what Vegas thought, what most of the metrics thought. Um, but they've been playing better basketball, and they're going to keep showing up and keep playing well going forward, probably pull off some upsets at home as the year goes on at MSG. Um, and then Texas Tech was trailing pretty much that entire game, but able to come up with the baskets and the clutch when they needed it and took away the win. So a uh, really good week for me in predictions, obviously going 12-2, and two, trying to repeat that next week. Okay, well, those predictions for next week will be posted on our website, fourthand24.com on Thursday, and we'll see how well you did in our next podcast. Let's move off the predictions, um, although they relate to them, and move back to a review of Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. Well, the first game of the weekend was the Texans beating the Browns 45-14. to This game was somewhat close for a while. Um, the teams were kind of trading back and forth in the first and second quarter. Then the Texans really started to take control of the game late in the second quarter, ended up with a 24 to 14 lead heading into the half. And then everything came apart for the Browns. Uh, Joe Flacco threw two pick sixes in a row. Um, and then the Texans had that 38 to 14 lead before the fourth quarter um, and ended up winning 45 to 14. As I mentioned, um, the key to this game was, was Jordan Love. I mean, they, Jordan Love played, uh, sorry, not Jordan Love. C.J. Stroud, although I'm looking at the Packers score, and they, they also had pretty much identical stat lines, as I'll, as you'll figure out in a second. But C.J. Stroud, perfect passer rating, 16 of 21, 274 yards, three touchdowns on the game. Um, just a ridiculous performance for a rookie um, in his first career playoff game. And he really willed the Texans to the win. Their run game was okay. They, they, they had some struggles, but overall they were able to get some push going, and that was pretty helpful for them. Um, to kind of balance out their passing game, but they didn't really need that much on offense, honestly. I mean, he only threw the ball 21 times uh, just because they had so few plays because they hit a bunch of big plays to score touchdowns and also scored a lot of touchdowns on defense, and then we're really just running out the clock at the end of the game. Um, so Houston with a dominant win, not something I expected. I mean, I, I, thought, I did predict them to win the game, but I didn't think that they were going to come out and score 45 against the NFL's best defense. Um, but they they came out and did it, and that's a lot of power to them for that. Um, we'll see what happens next week, though, because they go on the road to play the Ravens. It's a much different game. Um, the Ravens are probably one of the only teams that has a defense that could measure up to the Browns' defense, and they also will have home field, and they also have Lamar Jackson as opposed to having Joe Flacco. Um, but then you have the Chiefs. They beat the Dolphins 26-7 to in some ridiculous weather. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about the whole Dolphins aren't built for bad weather thing. Um, I just think that the Chiefs defense is really good. You know, Miami has been able to run the ball all year long, uh, and they completely shut that down. Devon Achan, who was leading the league pretty much in yards per carry, I think for a lot of the season, had six carries for nine yards in this game. So I think that should show you that this is not like it was just Kansas City. Um, it, it's not like it was just the Dolphins imploding. It was really Kansas City's defense. Achan Average 7.8 yards per carry uh, in the regular season, 800 yards on 103 carries. So to hold that guy to six carries for nine yards shows you something. Raheem Mostert also had an 1,000-yard season um, and was held to 33 yards on eight carries. So the Chiefs defense did a great job stopping the run. Um, it was obviously some pretty tough conditions to pass in. 
So not exactly benefiting either quarterback, but Tua was not able to adapt to that. And the Chiefs had such a big lead that unfortunately they kind of had to. Um, and also the Chiefs were just shutting down the run. So the Dolphins really didn't have any other options. But overall, Chiefs did a great job at shutting down the run. Um, and that was pretty much the key to the game. The Chiefs themselves had uh, some great runs with Pacheco. I think overall, yeah, they ended the game. Um, Pacheco only averaged 3.7 yards per carry, but they did get 147 yards on the ground, four and a half yards per carry. Some of that brought up by Mahomes scrambling a little bit. Um, but Mahomes, uh, he connected with his big receivers. He connected with Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey. They had 201 of the 262 passing yards for the Chiefs. So, you know, it was uh, – it was kind of a battle of who can get the ball to their best receivers and put in their hands to make plays. Tua made one play down the field to Tyreek Hill, but that was about it. Uh, meanwhile, Kansas City had a lot of plays for Rasheed Rice, a lot to Travis Kelsey. Uh, no one else on the Chiefs had over two receptions. Only Justin Watson actually had one, only Justin Watson actually had over one. He had two receptions for 20 yards. So it was really clear who Mahomes was throwing to, but those guys just kept getting open, um, and that was the key for the Chiefs, and that is how they won that game. Then you have the Packers. Now I can talk about Jordan Love. Um, but, you know, I said C.J. Stroud was 16 of 21 for 274 yards and three touchdowns. Well, Jordan Love was 16 of 21 for 272 yards and three touchdowns. Also had a perfect passer rating. Also is, well, he's not a rookie, but starting his first career playoff game. So those two young guys really, really carried the week for um, some teams that were not expected to go on the road and win games or sorry, who weren't expected to win their games. I guess the Texans were at home. Um, but yeah, those were good performances by both of them. Uh, Jordan Love, you know, there were questions about him early in the year. A lot of people thought that the Packers made a terrible pick. Um, even when he came in to be a backup or played in the preseason, people would tweet about him not being very good. Um, but all of a sudden, now that they've seen him on the biggest stage, now all those people have to back down because he played one hell of a game uh, on Saturday to take down the Cowboys, or I guess that was Sunday, actually, yeah, on Sunday, uh, to take down the Cowboys. And the running game was great, too. I mean, Aaron Jones had two touchdowns all season long, ended up with 118 yards and three touchdowns in this game alone. So the Packers really, they couldn't be stopped by the Cowboys. The Cowboys could not do anything to counter anything that the Packers did. Um, it was pretty much easy sledding for them. And then also Dak Prescott threw a few interceptions, including a pick six. Um, so that didn't help either. Um, and their running game never really got going as much as the Packers did. So really the Packers just dominated the game in all, all different phases. Um, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. I don't know if that's going to last. They're probably going to lose the Niners this week. Um, but look, the Packers are not a team that many people thought could win a game in the postseason. Uh, not a team that many thought would get to the postseason in the first place. So it is still a testament to that team playing really well. Um, they were able to come away with the victory. Um, and then you have the Lions. They beat the Rams 24 to 23. The Lions won this game because of Ben Doe break defense. Um, three red zone trips for both teams. The Rams got three field goals. The Lions got three touchdowns. And that was the difference of the game. Uh, it's a one point game. If the Rams had scored any touchdowns, they probably would have won the game. Because, um, you know, the late game situations would have flipped as well. Uh, the Lions and the Rams really were just kind of unstoppable on offense in the first in the first half. This was a very, very offensive-dominated game um, at, as it was 21-17 to 17 at the half with the Lions in the lead. But fact of the matter is, the Rams, um, sell, the Rams settling for that one field goal ended up being making a big difference. They did go down the field more in the third and the fourth quarter. 
um, but had to settle for a field goal twice. Um, and then the Lions only got down the field once, didn't actually get into the red zone, but did get a field goal. And that turned out to be all they needed, although both defenses really stepped it up in the second half, even though um, I think Matt Stafford ended up with 367 passing yards. So very clear that the Lions didn't exactly uh, hold him in check, but at the same time, they did enough to stop the Rams in the red zone, forced incompletions in timely downs. Um, and as a result, they walked away with their first franchise playoff win since I think 1993. Um, but great win by the Lions. They have a pretty favorable matchup um, as they play the Buccaneers next week. And we will talk about that in a second. And they get a home game again, which is something that they were desperate for. And, uh, you know, a lot of their, a lot of their players said they wanted the rematch with the Cowboys, but I think they're much better off playing the Buccaneers at home than they are playing the Cowboys on the road, even though the Cowboys did have their meltdown. Uh, then you have the Bills and the Steelers. The Bills just kind of jumped on top of the Steelers in the first quarter. They were up 14 and nothing. Uh, then they were up 21 and seven at the half. These teams actually scored the exact same amount of points in every quarter after the first, but that 14 and nothing cushion that the Bills built in the first quarter was just too much for the Steelers to overcome. Not a strong enough offensive team. Uh, to go on the road in Buffalo in those conditions and make a comeback. And that showed again um, on, I guess, yesterday, yeah, on Monday. Um, so the Bills walked away with the win. Um, don't think I'm really any more impressed with the Bills this week than I was with them last week. Don't really think I'm any less impressed with them. They played a good game. They beat a team that probably shouldn't have been in the playoffs. Um, but it's good for the Bills because, you know, we have seen – that some of the teams who we thought shouldn't be in the playoffs are actually pretty formidable when you look at a team like the Packers um, so and, frankly, the Buccaneers. So uh, the Bills took care of business, and that's all you need to do in the playoffs, survive in advance, um, and they will host the Chiefs next week, which is going to be an interesting game, um, probably the most hyped-up game of next weekend by the time we get to it, uh, and probably will be the only close game of the weekend, if I'm being honest. But then you have the Buccaneers. Uh, they beat the Eagles 32-9. to I don't think they're going to contend much against the Lions, but I will say that this game was an impressive, impressive performance by the offense. Um, the Eagles defense, though, has just been so bad, really, for the last six or so weeks. I mean, they played the Giants twice, and the Giants were averaging 15 or averaged 15 and a half points per game this season, and they gave up 25 and 27 to the Giants with Tyrod Taylor playing in one game, and I think. Tommy DeVito and Ty Tyrod Taylor playing in the other game. So their, their defense just fell apart at the end of the season. I, I really don't know how to put anything um, any more clear than that. They, they can't tackle. It, it's really, really clear what the issue is. They need guys on the edges who can actually make a play one-on-one. -on -one. Um, pretty much every play they have one guy in the right situation, maybe two guys in the right place. But most of the time, at least one of those tackles is being broken, maybe both. Um, and that's just not a winning formula. You have to be able to make those one-on-one -on -one tackles, make those big plays. And the Eagles are just completely not capable of doing that. Um, the other thing is that, you know, a lot of teams can cover up individual tackling deficiencies by just being good at flowing to the ball. You will see when the Ravens play next week against the Texans that someone may be open on the Texans, but the second that they catch the ball, there are two or three guys near them. Uh, that's just not the case with the Eagles. There's just a lot of space to work with. I mean, a lot of the touchdowns that the Bucks got on some catch and runs were just because there are not enough guys to kind of clamp down on the space for receivers. And when they get into space, NFL receivers will always find a way 
to get the extra yards um, and accelerate past the D-backs. And the fact of the matter is the Eagles just don't have enough people near the ball at all times. And that's just a matter of scheme. And that's also a matter of effort of players from the other side not coming over and trying to finish off plays. Um, and that also comes back to the fact that their offense can't do anything. And, you know, maybe their defense isn't playing with as much energy because they just have a feeling that their offense isn't going to do anything, even if they do get the stop. So the Eagles just fell apart at the end of the season. There's no other way to put it. Um, I am still surprised that the Buccaneers were able to put up 32 points. I didn't see that coming because I thought the Eagles did play at least slightly better on defense than they have against some of the teams they played late in the season. Uh, but the Bucs had some strong performances, even though, I mean, Mike Evans had a few key drops as well. So they kind of fought through a lot to even get to 32 points. Um, but I don't see it continuing going forward against the Lions, but they deserve credit for getting the one playoff when everybody kind of thought that whoever won that division was going to host the playoff game and get destroyed at home. Um, but that was not the case. The Buccaneers came up with the win, but we will see what happens next week. Don't really think they're going to win, though, I will say. Yeah, disappointing end to the Eagles season. You hit the nail on the head. Even the announcers were talking about it. And if I can see it, the poor tackling was just doomsday. Could have been a lot worse, like you said, had the Bucs not dropped a bunch of passes. All right, let's move off of the NFL and turn our attention to the NBA with our most impressive teams of last week. Well, you got to give it to the Utah Jazz at number one. Uh, they beat Indiana, they beat the Lakers, they beat Toronto, and they beat Denver. Look, all of a sudden, after being one of the worst teams to, to start the year, the Jazz have pulled things together. They've won six straight, and they are now sitting at 22-20 and 20 on the season, occupying the ninth spot in the Western Conference standings. What's crazy is that that record would be like five games ahead of uh, teams outside of the plane in the East, but in the West, it's actually only a few games ahead. But... You know, they're far from a lock for the playoffs, but this most recent run has been really, really amazing to watch. And, you know, the future is still bright in Utah because that team is pretty young um, overall. So interested to see what happens going forward with them. Uh, but for now, they've made some good progress um, and they've played some great games recently. Then you have the Bucks. Uh, they beat Sacramento, Golden State and Boston. Um, they went 3-0 this week. They were in need of a bounce back week. I talked about it last week on the podcast. The top three in the East all struggled a little bit. The Celtics less so because they still haven't lost a game at home. Um, but, or sorry, not last week, but two weeks ago. Um, but look, Dame did his thing. Um, he hit, I don't know, like a 35 or 36 foot. I, I'm not good at keeping track of how, how long the three was, but a very long step back three uh, at the buzzer against the Kings to get an overtime win. It, it'll go on his career highlight reel. You'll probably see it like 50 times in the future if you ever watch one of those. Um, it'll go on his season highlight reel. It'll be on previews for any Bucks games. It, it yeah. Anyway, um, very, 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 very crazy shot after the Kings had gone up two, and I think they only had like four seconds to get the ball down the court. Um, but they drew up a good play to get using him as the inbounder to uh, get him to get the ball back. Um, but then earlier in the week, they also took care of business against the Warriors um, behind a pretty big fourth quarter performance, and then they just demolished the Celtics. I mean they. They had lost four of their last five, like I said, but this is this was the bounce back they were looking for. Um, talking about that Celtics game, it, it was on a night where there were a bunch of blowouts in the NBA, but th this game was so bad that TNT literally moved off of the game and started doing live look-ins of other games. I don't think I've ever seen that before. I know we had a conversation on the phone about this, but for a game between the first place and second place teams in the East to be moved off of to do live look-ins at other random games, it's just that's not something that's supposed to happen. Also, because 
even even if it was a blowout, like, you know, 15 or 20 points, TNT typically doesn't really do that. Um, but it was so bad that they moved off that game entirely. I think they ended up winning by 32 um, in the end. So technically it looked better on paper than it actually was in real life somehow. But then in third, we have the Cavs at 2-0. There are two 2-0 teams at the end of this that I won't talk that much about, but uh, it's only because the team that probably had the most impressive start to the week did lose last night, that being the Thunder. Um, and I'll talk about what they did in the context of another team later. But the Cavs won uh, two games. They played a game in Paris against Brooklyn, and then they came back and beat the Bulls as well. Um, the schedule might not be too impressive, but honestly, given the circumstances, this was a pretty good week for Cleveland, um, who continues to ascend in, in the standings. And I think it's an important thing to point out that, you know, given they were playing a game in Paris and all that stuff, they easily could have come back, been a little uh, – you know, been a little out of sorts and lost that game against Chicago, but they kept the momentum going, um, which they've had now for a few weeks. So congrats to the Cavs on that. Then you have the Suns who beat Portland and the Lakers. Uh, the Suns just needed to take bit care of business against the Lakers this week, and they did just that. Um, they also did the Blazers, but the win over Lakers now means a lot more in the standings, obviously, and they are now in the eighth seed. But it, more importantly, they hold the two-game lead over the number 10 seed, which is tied between the Lakers um, and the Rockets. All right, let's go to the flip side and talk about the least impressive teams of the last week in the NBA. Well, number one has to be the Toronto Raptors. Um, they lost to Boston, Utah, and both LA teams. Look, I, I, I describe this as the fact that they played a few teams that were on missions this week, but at the same time, the losses are continuing to pile up for a team that's quickly fading from the playoff race. It's ridiculous that they're like seven or eight games under 500 and they're only a game and a half out of the play-in as things currently stand. But as non-competitive as they look against good teams, and frankly, Utah is not like an amazing team. I mean, they've had a good stretch recently, but 22 and 20 after a six-game win streak is not exactly um, a great team. So the Raptors should at least maybe pull out one win over these teams um, over the course of the week. So, I mean, I'm just not impressed with them at all. Um they, they haven't been the same since the OG and Anobi trade. Same thing with the Knicks, because the Knicks have been a lot better since the OG and Anobi trade. Uh, but we'll just have to see what happens with the Raptors. I think they're going to be sellers even more at the deadline trade, even more pieces away. Because even if they're close to playoff contention, like getting the 9 or the 10 seed in the play-in, why do you want the 9 or the 10 seed if you're 8 or 9 games under 500? At that point, you might as well just tank at a better draft pick and move on. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense because you're not going to win a series against Boston or, or Milwaukee walking into the playoffs with an eight or nine game with, with, with a record of like 40 and 42. That's just not going to happen. Um, but then you have the Blazers. Um, I normally avoid putting them on here because they're just kind of bad, but they went 0-4 this week and it was a bad 0-4. They lost to Phoenix, Minnesota, uh, the Thunder and the Knicks. Good teams, but the context they lost these games in is really bad. Um, they're starting to enter the Spurs territory of being bad on the season. Uh, they have the worst point differential in the entire Western Conference um, on average. But they failed to get 90 points twice this week. And they suffered the fifth largest loss in NBA history when the Thunder beat them 139 to 77. Mind you, I didn't talk about the Thunder this week. I said I would talk about them on the flip side of this. Well, 
the Thunder two years ago, if anybody remembers, were on the were on the other end of one of the biggest wins in NBA history. Also, when the Grizzlies beat them by like sixty, I think they beat them one hundred and fifty to like ninety two or something like that. Um, and now, just a year and a half later, the Thunder are in the two seed and they're doing the same thing to the Blazers. So it's crazy to talk about the Thunder's turnaround and how quick it's happened just by being a really, really young team and only having a little bit of development and then adding Chet Holmgren basically from, I mean, obviously he was on the team last year, but didn't play any games because of his injury. Um, So it's crazy how, how much a few improvements can make. Plus just a guy like Shea Goldish Alexander really moving on from all-star solid, all-star, you know, borderline all-star, wherever you, whatever category you wanted to put him in last year, um, depending on the team to just superstar all NBA level. Um, easily is probably the best guard in the West right now, which is a crazy thing to say, considering all the guard talent, not only in the West, but also in the league overall, but he's definitely one of the top five players this season. Um, But yeah, it was supposed to be about the Blazers, but I said, I had to speak a little bit about, about the thunder and that, that disappointing loss is just, that's just a big margin that you just can't let that happen. um, Especially at home. Uh, Then the magic, uh, they went one and three, they lost to OKC, Miami and Minnesota. They did beat the Knicks. Um, so they did a good job of rebounding uh, at the end of the week with that win over the Knicks. But earlier in the week, they showed their complete inability to compete against real top tier teams. And I'm kind of losing faith in this team's ability to make noise in the playoffs, even though they'll pro- they'll make it there pretty easily. Um, but I just don't know how much they can actually get done once they are there. Uh, and that is something that doesn't inspire too much confidence. And I, I can also say that if you're talking about a young team. I could totally see them losing. Um, in the play. And if they kind of float around that seventh or eighth spot, and then they don't make the regular playoffs, they could easily, easily lose um, to a team with more experience that isn't even as talented as them. Um, and speaking of a team with more experience, uh, the Warriors are one, went one and three this week. They lost to Memphis, Milwaukee, and New Orleans. They beat Chicago, but look, there's some blind faith from a lot of people that the Warriors will eventually turn things around, but even I'm starting to lose a little bit of that faith. Um, at the very least, by the time they turn around, it could be too late in the season. The West is deep, and they're currently sitting in 12th place, still behind the Lakers, who are another star-studded playoff hopeful team, let alone all the other teams that are actually ahead of them that have better records on the season, like the Rockets, like the Jazz. Um, you know, obviously the big guys, the Kings, the Pelicans, the Thunder, um, the Mavs, the Nuggets. There are a lot of teams ahead of them. That's why they're in 12th. Um, but it also doesn't help inspire much confidence when you lose teams like the Grizzlies without John Morant. Uh, it's those are just losses you can't afford to take when you're fighting for a playoff spot, but the Warriors still continue to take losses like that pretty much every week. All right, that wraps up our look at the NBA. Now let's turn our attention to college basketball action. Well, I will start with a big upset to start the week. Uh, there will be a lot of games on here because I think 13 teams lost um, in the top 25 to unranked teams, let alone to each other. Uh, but Nebraska beat number one Purdue 88 to 72 to kick off the week. That is when I started to feel like it was going to be a crazy week. Um, same day, Iowa State beat number two Houston 57 to 53. I might have even put those out of order now that I think about it, but it doesn't matter. Both of those teams went down. Um, number one and number two, Houston was the last remaining unbeaten. So now we have no more unbeatens in college basketball. Uh, a lot of them lost over the last week or two. James Madison has now suffered two losses. Ole Miss is going to lose again soon because they play some ranked teams this week and then uh, over the weekend. Um, but they have one loss themselves, blah, blah, blah. 
Baylor, number 14 in the country, beat number 18, BYU, 81-72. BYU was also a team that only had one loss, I believe, earlier on the season, Um, but they lost this week to Baylor and then went on the road and played UCF, although they did escape with that victory, and we'll talk about that later maybe, but I just mentioned it in case I didn't. Um, Then you had Boise State, who beat number 17, Colorado State, 65-58. That handed the Rams their second loss uh, of the year which was not necessarily a huge upset. Boise State was expected to make noise in this conference preseason. They haven't maybe played up to expectations, but at the same time, a good win for Boise State, one that they will uh, need if they want to be in tournament contention. I really hope that the tournament committee pays attention to the fact that even the net rankings have this conference as having more top 50 teams currently than the ACC, than the Pac-12, than the Big Ten. But I just doubt that even if their own metric says that a, a non-power conference is good that they're going to pay attention to it they just have failed to do that so many times in the past um so the boise state broncos are going to need wins like that going forward at least there are multiple teams that are ranked though so they're going to have some impressive opportunities to get wins but i just don't know how many games you're going to need to win to make it out of the mountain west because it's always a higher standard than it should be uh then you have number 16 auburn who beat an a and m 66 to 65 uh, auburn just continues to roll on Uh, This is probably one of the tougher teams they've played so far, but they were able to take care of that challenge with ease. Meanwhile, look, you can't, I mean, I kind of glossed over that game with Auburn, but at the same time, UCF beat number three, Kansas 65 to 60. UCF had played nobody in the non-conference and still went nine and five. So this was a game that a lot of people thought Kansas would just roll into easily, take the win. Not so fast, said UCF. Um, They got the big upset over number three, Kansas. And look, I'm just saying that, you know, you can you can kind of gloss over wins like Auburn's win. But the fact of the matter is, it is hard to win night in and night out in college basketball. Teams jump out out of nowhere and beat each other on any random day. I think the transfer portal has made this even more of a likely thing because there are a lot of really capable players who, instead of being uh, team leaders and March Madness legends on 14 and 15 seeded teams, they're instead, you know, some team's backup point guard or some team's Uh, starting two guard second option you know I mean it's just very very common and I think that a lot of these teams can really kind of come out of nowhere and beat some of the other teams just because they have really really quality players that can really go off on any night Um, and then you had Mississippi State they beat number six Tennessee 77 to 72 Uh, Wisconsin went on the road actually number 15 in the country I should say Wisconsin and beat Ohio State 71 to 60 they also beat Northwestern later in the week so Wisconsin had a great week. Um, that team really, really proving itself, ascending towards, I believe, a two or a three seed in most people's brackets. I think I had them as maybe the highest four seed, but they're going to move up a lot given all the movement um, from other teams, all the losses from teams ahead of them. Um, and they really deserve it. They've put together a pretty strong resume so far. Then you have TCU who beat number nine, Oklahoma, 80 to 71. Uh, that was Oklahoma's third loss of the year. Only other one being to uh, actually, no, that was their fourth. No, that was their fourth loss of the year because they also lost to Kansas um, and they lost to. Uh, he- oh, no, no, no. That was their third loss. TCU was the third. Sorry. My bad. Um, I'll move on from that game because it's confusing me too much. Butler beat number 11, Marquette, 69 to 62. Marquette has yet to lose back to back games in two years in the Big East. But at the same time, last year they had three losses all year long in conference. They already have three losses and they had it in their first five games. Um, in the Big East, they have been alternating loss and win, and then they got a win later that I'll talk about. But 
this team is just not as strong as I thought coming into the year. I was really high on them in the preseason, and I'm starting to lose that faith. Um, then you have number 24, FAU, who beat Tulane 85 to 84. FAU keeps scraping by with wins. Um, I think they actually got knocked out of the rankings this week, despite not losing a game, just because they're, they're, they're getting too close to losing. Um, and their resume overall isn't that impressive. Um, but then you have number 10, Illinois, who beat Michigan State 71-68. A really good win um, for Illinois. Michigan State has been playing better um, recently. Uh, they needed a big bounce back win. I think they're about to go on a bit of a run here because they're playing some pretty weak teams. But at the same time, Illinois, uh, they fumbled that momentum, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but Santa Clara beat number 23, Gonzaga, 77-76. to I believe Gonzaga should have been unranked weeks ago, but they're now actually unranked and probably won't make it back for the rest of the year. Uh, then you have A&M, who beat number six, Kentucky, 97-92 to in overtime. This is the type of win I'm talking about where I said that Auburn's win over A&M shouldn't be overlooked. They have the capability to beat a team that was in the top 10. Um, obviously, being at home is a big advantage, but A&M was favored in this game. Like They're, they're a really, really solid team. Um, so it, it's pandemonium out there is all I'm trying to say. Uh, number 18, BYU beat UCF 63-58. to They went on the road and won in that same venue that Kansas had just lost in earlier in the week. Um, then you had number. Then you had Washington State, who beat number eight Arizona, seventy-three to seventy. Um, a big win for Washington State. I don't think any Pac-12 teams beyond Colorado, Utah, and Arizona have a chance of making the tournament at this point. But still, a good win regardless. I guess if one of those teams gets on a run and beats everybody in the Pac-12, then theoretically they could get in. Um, but then you have West Virginia, who beat number twenty-five Texas to get the six and ten on the year. West Virginia is horrible. So Texas taking this loss is just a really, really, really bad sign. I mean, they were kind of staying afloat. They were kind of hanging on to their preseason ranking uh, to even still be ranked in the top 25. Brackets hate them. Metrics hate them. I think they're bad, um, if that means anything. But this win, this loss just proved it. I mean, this is this is like a dropping 20 or 30 spots in a bracket type loss um, this early on in the season. And they probably will do that for me. Um, but number 14, Baylor, they beat Cincinnati 62 to 59, continuing to improve their resume. They got a ranked win and a road win this week, which is pretty good um, for Baylor. Uh, then Maryland beat number 10, Illinois, 76 to 67. This win came out of nowhere. I mean, out of all the upsets to happen this week, after Illinois had beaten Michigan State at home, I don't think anybody expected them to just drop a game uh, to Maryland at home. The team that had just struggled to beat Michigan without Doug McDaniel at home. It's just kind of crazy. Um, the Big Ten is just doing Big Ten things. Seems to happen every year. Uh, I guess you can say Maryland has a chance of getting into the tournament, kind of backdooring it if they can continue to pull off upsets like this. Um, but, you know, go on the road, maybe beat Northwestern this week. That would be a pretty good thing on their resume. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, I don't think it will happen. But uh, Maryland has kind of played an up-and-down season, but they're starting to maybe trend up a little more. And then finally you have number 17, Marquette, who beat Villanova 87-74. to so they did bounce back from their loss. They are three and three now on the season. But if you look at the trend of the season, they're now scheduled to lose their next game because they've been alternating loss win in conference the entire year. Um, they have a pretty tough matchup as well. I think they're playing St. John's on the road unless they play again before the weekend. Um, if they are playing St. John's in their next game, I definitely have St. John's winning that game. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for college basketball. It was a crazy, crazy week. A lot of upsets going on. But uh, that is why we tune into college basketball, and that's why I love college basketball so much. Okay, well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, January 23rd. 
where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, review NFL divisional playoff round action, have another look at the NBA, and review the week in college basketball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted tomorrow and his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.